Well, for the summer, what we're going to do is we're going to journey through different psalms. We, we do this uh, at times during the summer and uh, are going to as well this summer. Uh, I've asked uh, uh, myself to do this, but also uh, others who will be teaching this summer. We've asked them to uh, journey through psalms that we haven't taught on yet, uh, and uh, they are picking those. And so we are so thankful uh, for different people that are going to be teaching through the summer as we look at these psalms. Uh, when you think of the Psalms, though, um, just, just to kind of let you know, it's, it's one of those books when my devotional life is dry or drying up or, or I'm entering one of those seasons, it, it's usually the Psalms that, that God directs me back to or turns me back to. Um, but when we think of the Psalms, what, what are different things that maybe we think of when, when we read the Psalms? Um, or, or what are some uh, patterns that we see through the Psalms? Uh, one, we see praise, we see worship, uh, we see that. Uh, we also see common in many of the Psalms where the psalmist, whether it's David or Asaph or somebody else who is writing, uh, what we will find is they will lament or, or grieve or be led to uh, sorrowful uh, words uh, in a prayer uh, or in a song. Uh, but then also what we see in that is, is it, that sorrow turns to, to trust. Uh, they, they trust God. Uh, and they, they, even in sorrow, are, are confident uh, and hopeful in the Lord. And, and today, this psalm that we're going to look at in Psalm 27 that Matt read for us is, is the same kind of pattern. It begins with, with trust, this confidence. It's going to lead toward some so- sorrow, some grieving a little bit uh, of his conditions and circumstances. But then it goes back to, to trust again, to confidence again. And, and today, I, I, we simply, I, I, my prayer is, is that you walk away and, and that God, that Jesus Christ truly is your one and only hope. Uh, that's what it was for, for David, who is the writer of this psalm. Now, when we think of David, there's, there's a couple things that, that come to mind. What's, what's the first one? Someone, what's, what is it? King. king. He's king? Okay, maybe there's three. Okay, what's, <laughs> what's one of the things that you think of when you think of David? Goliath. So you think of this great, hold on a second. I, I want to get back to that. You, you think of David don't, uh, and Goliath. Great defeat. Right? What's the other thing you think of? What's, he, he, he's in the Bible. So there's four, evidently. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Yes. What's the other story? We got David and Goliath, and then we have David and... Yeah. Right? Different degrees. The height and the depth of the valley. And when you think of those two stories and episodes in his life... Um, the highs and the lows, man, I was thinking this weekend, in fact, about that. I thought, man, what do I think of? Do I think of, oh, man, shame on David. And I think of, wow, what a stud, right? Those rocks and taking down Goliath. But ultimately what we come to is, wow, what a great God. What a great God. What a great and glorious God and how gracious he is in both circumstances, toward David. Um, And I think that's what the Psalms lead us to, is how great a God we have, and how gracious he is to us. And that's what we find even in the text today. And as we look at this text, I I want us to answer and, 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 and think through life, and where we're at today, the reality of it, and ask you this question this morning. What are you afraid of? 
What's something that maybe is a fear in your life right now? It could be big, it could be small. No matter how big or small, they're real and we feel them. Um, For some of us, a fear, it may be a first world problem, right? And maybe we shouldn't be too afraid of that. Um, But but fears are real. Uh, Maybe it's a fear of missing out on something. And so should we be afraid of, of that? Uh, maybe it's something that's coming up. I used to be one that was very fearful of, of things that would come up. Maybe it was a meeting that was coming up in the distance. Uh, back in, in, in some of my life uh, span and stages, I used to be fearful of that. Knowing something was coming up and didn't know well, maybe what the meeting was going to be about or, or whatever uh, it was. Or I'd be fearful about some things on the counter or fearful about things coming up. Um, and, and those things are real. But, but what are you fearful of this morning? And David was one of those guys that had every reason to be afraid. Um, he had every reason to be fearful. If he wasn't at war with neighboring nations, he was being hunted by his, his own people. His life was almost always at risk. And the Psalms are filled with, with testimony after testimony of the terrors that he would face day after day. But... Even with evil on every side, listen what David could say, and that's where we're going to begin today. He would say this in verse 1, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the defense or the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? So think about that. Of whom shall I be afraid of? Whom shall I dread? Now, I would, ask, I would tell David this, hey, David, what about Saul? Aren't you afraid of Saul? Hey, David, what about foreign armies? What about traitors in your own ranks, even in your own family? So the real question should be, right, of whom shall David not be afraid of, right? Many reasons for David to be fearful, but yet he's not. And he could say, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? And here's what David does. In the midst of opportunity for fear and temptation, to be afraid of of things in his life, he does three things to start off our text today. One, he remembers. Uh, Two, he's going to reflect on some things. And and thirdly, he he is going to show us resolve, and he's going to make a statement of of his resolve that leads in verse 4 to really the foundation of, of his ultimate hope and confidence that he has. And so look at verse one again. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of or what should I be afraid of? And then not only that, but the Lord is my stronghold. He is my defense in life. Whom shall I dread? So what does David remember here? He remembers first of all who God is. And for David, God is light. Warren Worsby says that this is the first time that light is used as a metaphor to talk about God in the scripture. And so we see two characteristics together here that David says, God is my light and God is my salvation. Really meaning the same thing. If you think about light, you also think about the other side of that. You think of dark. And you and I are in the dark. We are in darkness without God. We know that. The Bible tells us that all of sin falls short of the glory of God, are separated from God, literally walking in darkness because of sin. But when the revealing light of God and the gospel shines in our hearts to show us the great need that we have of a Savior, the depths of our sin 
and what God has done for us in spite of that, by sending Christ to die on the cross, he shines that revealing light and reveals to us the need for Christ. And so David says, God is my light. He is my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of? So let me ask you this. If Jesus is our light, if Jesus is our salvation, who shall you and I be afraid of? Because think about this this morning. Should we be afraid of the enemy? No. And he's, he's got some power. Should we be afraid of, of death? The Bible says no. We should not fear death as those who are in Christ. Should we be afraid of any power of darkness? The Bible points to the word no. We should not be afraid. We should not be afraid of, of being damned to hell even. We should not be afraid of that. And so, what should we be afraid of? Those who have trusted and believe in Christ. And so, as eternally safe as we are in Jesus Christ, though, fears in life are still real. They come and cloud our sense of comfort. They cloud our confidence in Christ at times. For sure, they are lesser fears than the enemy. They are lesser fears than death that we encounter but it doesn't make them less real. It doesn't make them less tangible and less imminent. We feel them still. We might disappoint others at times. We might fail others. And what if something happened to our child? Do we sometimes become afraid of that? Maybe we're afraid of, I'm not raising my kid the, the right way. And maybe we live with, with that fear. Am I, am I doing everything I can? Maybe we're afraid of losing a job. Maybe we're afraid of being unable to pay the bills. Maybe we're afraid of losing a spouse. Or maybe, worse for some of us, never finding one. Or maybe we're afraid of death, of dying in the very ways it comes. We're surrounded by many different reasons of fear, why we could fear. The Bible brings the good news that if we truly knew the depths of of our desperation and sin and the heights of God delivering us, the heights of his love through the cross, we'd never be afraid of anything. Anything. That's a lot easier to say and harder to believe. Tougher reality to, to really say, I'm not afraid of anything. But David here remembers that God is his light, God is his salvation. Not only that, God is his stronghold, his, his defense. So he has a strong defense, David does, and it's God, both for the present and both for the future. Think about this verse this morning, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. Paul says, how great the surpassing greatness of God's power is for those who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Jesus Christ. When he raised him from the dead, seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. What power we have given to us, what strength we have because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And it's been displayed through the resurrection. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and I. And so why should we be afraid? Why should we be dreadful of anyone or anything? And David somehow was able to stare defeat. He was able to stare death in the face and not be afraid. Why is that? 
He was seeing more than his circumstances. Something beyond his circumstances. Something that gave him comfort. Something that gave him confidence. Even when he was likely to lose everything. He saw through the threats to a God who promised to protect and deliver him. And we too, as we walk with the Lord, must daily remember as we face different circumstances and stresses of the day, that God is our light, God is our salvation, He is our great strength and stronghold. And that's where David begins. And that's where God wants us to begin each day, really, is at that point of remembering who He is. But not only that, that we would reflect on past experiences of how God has shown Himself to be our help, to be our defense, and to be our strength. He says in verse 2, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, as he thinks back, my adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. God was remembered by David of being the light, the salvation, the strength of his life. And here he reflects on what God has done in the past. He was in great danger. His enemies literally wanted to come and, and, and rip him apart, literally is what that means. But God protected him. God was his great defender. And so the Lord has been active in David's life, and David reflects on how God has been his great help. And sometimes you and I have got to reflect on that and be led to remember how God took us through different times. Maybe he protected us in times of temptation and didn't let us fall into that, but let us say no and continue to walk with the Lord. Maybe there were times when we were in great despair. We went through a great trial or whatever, and we can think back on how God brought us through that. David did that. He reflected on how God was his help. Look what he does next, though. He shows us his resolve. As a result of who God is and what God has done for him, he says, though a host encamp against me, though an army of enemies come against me, my heart will not be afraid. It will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. And David shows resolve here. To stand trusting in the Lord no matter what comes his way, even if it's threats or if it's an army that's coming against him, he will not be afraid. Instead, he will be confident. He will be filled with hope. He'll be filled with hope. And we see here why. Why is he filled with such hope? Now, the reason is undeniable. It's clear to David. And look at verse 4. He gives us that. He says here in a very common, often quoted verse, He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord or the perfections of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. A lot here. What does David say? He says, my hope and my confidence is because I have one purpose in life. I have one desire in life. It's it's actually the foundation to his life. It's the motivating force to what he does and who he is. And it's found in that statement where he says the one thing. Think about that for a second, one thing. What what does one thing bring to your mind? It it, it speaks of single-mindedness, right? Wouldn't it be cool to say, hey, I've got one thing to do today? You guys would be like, hey, that that sounds like a plan. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, I've got got one thing on the to-do list. (laughs) David says, have one thing. What is that, that one thing? I think this is a key phrase, and I think it's important for us. I mean, we get easily distracted by many different things in life. 
And David's narrowing down in the midst of distraction, in the midst of circumstances, everything that's going on around him. He says, I want you to know what the priority of my life is. It's knowing the Lord. It's, it's loving the Lord. It's knowing him. And that's what he means when he says that I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's not just looking to the future, but he's talking about all my days, even in the present. He says there's nothing else that compares to God. He is it. My affections, everything is bound up in this one thing, and it's him. I'm bound up in heavenly things. And so it is this one thing that David says he prays for and he seeks after. So it's a continue action. That he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To behold the beauty. The beauty of the Lord means his character. Uh, to, to, to think upon who God is, to, to remember his attributes, that he is loving, that he is great, that he is sovereign, that he is all-powerful. You see, David wants to know God and wants to live in his presence above anything else all the days of his life. David, in fact, Psalm 63, the psalm tells us in verse 3 that God, your love, O Lord, is better than life. God's love is better than anything in this life. And so this is the overall encompassing desire of David's life. And look what he says at the end of verse 4. He says, and to meditate in his temple. We hear the word meditate, and we think of many different things today. Uh, we see people who you know, talk about meditation or whatever it may be in many different forms and what it looks like. It's a very biblical term. And so what does meditate mean? mean here i think real simply what david is saying here is that the idea of, of of praying and the word of god coming together i think that's what the idea of meditating is it's knowing and, and experiencing god's presence i love what timothy keller in his book on on prayer and he's used some of the the works of martin luther to encourage his writing and he talks about this idea of meditation in the Christian life, and specifically what David has in mind here, that you and I would read the Word of God, number one. That as we read the Word of God, that we would discern, seek to know of the instruction that we are reading about in the text. Not just read it, but that just we would seek to know what is the Word saying? And what does the Word of God want me to believe? And what does the Word of God want me to do as a result of what I just read? Um, Luther calls meditation thinking in the presence of God. And that when we read the word of God and when we pray, that that's what we're doing. We're thinking in the presence of God. It's when we incline our heart, we prepare our heart, both to read the word of God and pray at the same time, literally. And that's what meditation is. And even as we gather in, in times like this or in small groups like that, when we read the Word of God, that we approach the Word of God with utmost seriousness and realize that this is a holy moment. And that when we come to the Word of God, even on our own time, that this is a big deal because we are literally reading the breath of God, the words of God from Him to us. And David says, hey, I long for that. I, I want that. I seek after those times. I love those times. Because why? We get to know God more and more. 
And look what he says next. He says in verse five and six, from the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. The tabernacle was where God dwelt, the meeting place where God would meet with the people of Israel. And it says here, in the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So even when trouble arose, the presence of God was everything to David. David believed God was with him at all times through whatever he went through, that he was an ever-present help in times of trouble. And so as a result of his hope in the presence of God, and as David remembered who God is and his presence by faith, David was sure that God would answer his prayers. And it caused him to worship. It literally put a joyful song in his heart as he thought about God. And that he was his strength and he was his defense. It put a song on his lips. It caused him to worship. And as we continue here, what's amazing about this is David not only just says these things, but he practices them. He, he practices the presence of God. He practices prayer. The very thing he just spoke about, he puts into practice even in this psalm. Look at verse 7 through 10. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. And so he calls out to the Lord in prayer, and he says, when you said, he's talking about God, seek my face, my heart said back to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. What is that? That's obedience. God said, seek me, and David said, hey, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. I shall seek after you. And then he prays, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me by the Lord, but the Lord will take me up. David, surrounded by threats and enemies, prays. He prays to the God of his salvation, his great help. And he believes that God would help him. He believes that God alone, in the midst of his troubles, even though others may turn from him, this verse here in verse 10 doesn't mean that his parents have turned away from him. It literally means if they do or if others close to me do because some in his family will. He says, but God, you won't bail on me. God, you won't leave me. God, you won't turn your back on me. But instead in verse 10, he says, God, you will take me up. What that means is, God, you're there for me and you're gonna be there for me till the end. David believed that. That's who God was to him, an ever-present help. He was there. And then he says, as he continues to pray, look what he says in verse 11 and 12. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me in such as breath, or, or excuse me, as such breathe out violence. And so how does David pray? Humbly and with a teachable spirit. He says, Lord, not my way, but your way. Lord, not my will, but your will. Teach me, show me, Lord, and I will joyfully obey. Uh, sometimes we can be directionally challenged, right? Especially when, when it comes to walking with the Lord sometimes. Uh, some of us can be directionally challenged in the car, right? Where to go, how to get to different places. And so thank goodness 
for maps, right? I remember a few years back, a gentleman that used to attend our church here, he had asked my wife and I to, to head to lunch. Uh, and he lives just behind us in the neighborhood here at Castle Hills. And um, I remember asking him, hey, where do you live? And he, he gave me his phone. And he says, here, I just pull it up on the maps. Just push this button. It'll tell you how to get there. I'm like, okay. And so I did. And and then I don't remember that. I think it's, it took us like 20 minutes. You know where Castle Hills is, right? <laughs> you think, can he ask me to use this? Because I, mean, I, I don't even know if I had an iPhone back then. But I remember he, he asked us, anyway, he asked us to use it to get there. I get there, he's like, hey, is, there, is everything cool? I figured you guys were just talking and stuff. I was like, no, no. No, it, it, it wasn't that. <laughs> and I'm not directly challenged. Right? I, some, sometimes. Thank you, Annette. Thank you for that. Honesty. Um, and, and I'm very grateful, though, for maps uh, and, and for, for using this. Uh, not only this, see, so this is what got me in, in trouble was this little deal. Head west on King Arthur Boulevard, but and, make a U-turn. Uh, okay. Thank you. Uh, but that's what, what the voice thing, I can't use the voice thing. It drives me nuts. It dry, like, and so, I think some of you guys like a different voice accents, right? The British, some British. Anyway, somebody told me this morning you can do Darth Vader. Darth Vader. And some of you guys will leave here and check that out, I, I would imagine. Um, hopefully you get more than, than that from today's sermon. Um, but when you think about driving, uh, we can be directly challenged at times. We, we love maps. We love maybe the, the GPS voice um, to assist us. And I, th- I love what David says here, though, because he says, teach me, Lord. So, so Lord, teach me. And, and so when we think about, Lord, give me direction, that, that my path would be level. Even though there's many enemies and things that, that try to distract me and pull me away from, from your path, Lord, and they want to gear me off. So think about this, direction in life. We need the word of God. We need the word of God. That's why he says back in verse 4, uh, one thing I ask and seek after, God, you. I want to meditate in the temple. I, I want to be in your word. I want to pray. And, and so the word of God becomes our, our map, becomes our direction to help lead us in the way the Lord wants us to go. And so how often in life do we do that? Day to day. Now, I know through the day, you know, in a situation, and whether you meet someone or you're at work or at school, wherever you're at, you run into a situation, you're like, well, gosh, what do I do here? I mean, you can't just pull, hey, let me pull this out real quick and look and see what, what the Word says I need to do in this situation. I mean, obviously, we can't do that. And so that voice does come in. God's voice does come in. Now, how does that voice come in? And Jesus tells us in John 16 that. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Those who are in Jesus Christ, he has given us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself, to indwell with us. An ever-present presence. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And he causes and he brings to remembrance the word of God in those times. So that we will be led down that right path. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, And so David is saying, teach me, God, show me, so that I would live rightly. Even though there's many threats around me, any circumstances that try to lead me in different direction, Lord, teach me, show me, direct me 
Holy Spirit, guide me in truth. So David prays that God would protect him, deliver him from his enemies. And let me ask you about prayer real quick, because we've seen that's what David does, and he's encouraged us along the way to do the same, I would think. And what is prayer? Prayer ultimately does, I would say, one great work for you and I personally. You might fill in the blank and say, well, no, there's other things, and that's fine. But I think ultimately it is one great thing for you and I this morning. It changes us. That's what prayer ultimately does. It, it changes you and I. It changes our attitude. changes our behavior. causes us to repent. I think ultimately that's what prayer does. It's the place of discipleship. It's where transformation happens. When we pray and when we do so with a humble, teachable spirit, just as David does, asking the Lord to teach us and lead us, what happens is the Lord starts changing us and we start living rightly and doing Rightly. That's what Timothy Keller, I think, says in his book on prayer. He says, our conversation with God leads us to an encounter with God. Prayer turns theology, the knowledge of God, the study of God, into experience. Into experiencing God. His presence influences us when we encounter the Lord. His joy, his peace, his confidence. And thereby, we're changed in our attitude, behavior, and character. And we see that with David. We see that. And then David wraps us up. And just in the next minute or two, I want you to read these last two verses. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 13 through 14, this is kind of his closing statement, his statement of hope, his statement of confidence that he wants to pass on also to us. And listen to what he says. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David, so influenced, changed by the presence of God, the character of God, who God is. As he looks back on what God has done for him, he's filled with hope. And that's what hope is the great medicine, right? For all the troubles of life. That's what hope is. And in this land of the dying, where David is, where you and I live daily, it is for our joy, for you and I, we are looking and longing for the land of the living. And that's what David's doing. He, he believes here that he will see the goodness of God. I think this is both present and future. I think it's future, obviously, but I think it's present as well. But he's looking forward to seeing the Lord face to face and his goodness firsthand. But we can experience that daily. As we look at Christ our Savior, we can experience this daily. But the key word here is belief. He says belief. I believe I will see. If fears come in, and what do they do? They blind us. They can blind us. The threats, the fears of the unknown, you name it, they can blind us. But David here says believe. And when you believe, you'll see clearly. It may not all make sense. It may not all add up at times. But God says, David says here, you will see. You'll see the goodness of the Lord. There may be pain and there may be hurt. And there may be trouble, but he says believe. And even through those times, you will see the goodness 
of the Lord. What I love about verse 13 is David preaches to himself here. He preaches to himself. And I think he probably did that often. As he was in caves, as he was in times when he was alone, he probably preached to himself. The person that you should be hearing sermons from the most is you. Preach the word of God to yourself. It's a great practice. And then he gives you and I a closing word, and he says, wait for the Lord. That word wait right there is literally the word hope. Hope expecting. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Too often we hurry past the Lord hastily. We move quickly. But David says here, wait. Don't just do what you think is best, but wait on God. Wait on his timing. Wait on his action. And then wait for your next step of obedience from him. There's a great promise to those who wait on the Lord. It's simply this this morning. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. Yet those who wait or hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Actively hope and trust in God today. May he be your great confidence, no matter what you're going through. And do you have that kind of hope today? Do you have that? If not, I would ask you this, or ask myself this even, is the Lord truly all I need? Because sometimes when I am not hopeful or I lose hope or get despair, I have to look of, okay, what am I hoping in? What am I trusting in? Is God truly all I need? Is he my great treasure like he was for David? And do I long for his presence? Do I long for his nearness? When my hope starts to go to despair, that's what I start asking myself. And so we must ask ourselves that today because that was key for David. So don't be overcome with despair. Rest in the Lord. Find him as your refuge. Find Jesus as your great hiding place and security. That's what he came for. And Jesus is our light. He's our salvation. He is our great strength. As the band comes up, we enter a time of communion. I want us to remember that today who the Lord is. His name is Jesus. And he came from heaven to earth, died for you and I, so that our sins would be forgiven. I know many of you in here know that. You're well aware of that. But I pray today that we would remember the depths of how great our sin was and the depths of how great his love is and that he died for us on the cross. He's our light. He's our great search and rescue team. He came for us. When there was no other hope, when there was no other way, he came for us. He's our great defender. And he will stand for us till the end. Let's pray.